Hi, I'm Ben Miller from University Relations here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and we're a proud sponsor of WIS Politics and WIS Business Podcasts. You're listening to WIS Business, the podcast, Wisconsin's business news source. Now, here's your host. Hi, everybody. This is Alex Mo here for WIS Business, the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Scott LeBlanc, a labor and employment attorney with Hush Blackwell in Milwaukee. Scott, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Alex. Of course. So today we're going to be discussing a recent rule proposal from the Federal Trade Commission related to non-compete agreements. And I thought we could just get started with um, a brief explanation from you on how these agreements typically work under the current framework, and then we can get into the new rule. Sure. So currently, non-competes are governed on really on a state-by-state basis. So depending on what state you live in or what state you work in, or maybe what state is specified within your non-compete agreement, um, that's the state law that's going to apply with respect to your non-competes. So in the U.S., we have you know, a lot of different frameworks with respect to non-competes. We have a few different states like California being sort of the the major example, uh, Oklahoma, North Dakota, where non-competes are just not enforceable um, and they're not allowed um, full stop. You have another, uh, a, a, a number of other states, uh, Wisconsin sort of being in this group that uh, a court will look at a non-compete, but they'll look at it with a very sort of skeptical eye and they will typically tend to interpret non-compete provisions in favor of the employee. Uh, and the non-compete has to be sort of reasonable and as, as as narrowly tailored as possible in order to be enforceable. And then you have states that basically just will follow the contract, right? If the contract says you can't do X, Y, and Z, then that that's what you have to that's what you have to deal with. So there's kind of this patchwork of different. Uh, approaches to non-competes right now and sort of depending on what state you live in and, and how you've entered your non-compete, that's that's how your non-compete is going to be looked at. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So what exactly is the FTC proposing here? Right, so the FTC's proposal is is proposing a, a nationwide standard when it comes to non-competes. So we're kind of replacing this state-by-state patchwork of rules that we have with respect to non-competes and replacing it with a nationwide standard that would apply across the board to all employers and in all different states. And and essentially what it does is it says that you you can't have a non-compete in place, period. Um, Non-competes would be unenforceable um, at a federal level, and the FTC would step in and regulate whether or not uh, if companies were trying to enter into non-competes, um, the FTC would presumably step in and, and do something about that. Um, there, the FTC has also sort of looked at these types of agreements that are often included with non-competes, um, but but aren't sort of quite all the way there. Um, there are, are restrictions like customer non-solicitation restrictions, where you can't go after certain customers or employee non-solicitation where you can't go after employees from the company you used to work for. Um, those types of restrictions also may be picked up in the FTC's rule, um, how it's written right now. Um, so again, that would be at a federal level and we'd be replacing the way that we've looked at it on a state-by-state basis. 
Okay, and it sounds like it would just simply supersede all state law. It would supersede all contrary state law, right? So to the extent okay. that there are certain to the extent that there are certain states that go even further than the FTC. So for example, I mentioned customer non-solicitation restrictions. Generally speaking, those aren't enforceable in California either. Under the FTC's rule, those may or may not be enforceable depending on the scope. So if a state was even stricter than the FTC, those state laws would still be in place, but there's very few examples, I think, given where the FTC's position is now where, where that would apply. I see. Okay, good to know. So this, of course, is a proposal at this point, right? What's the timeline for this rule going forward? Can you explain you know, what would need to happen for it to actually take effect? Yeah, so what the FTC is doing right here is um, notice and comment rulemaking. So federal agencies, when, when they propose rules, they have to go out and they have to do a proposed rule, then they have to solicit comments from the general public, they have to read those comments, they have to take those comments into account, and then when they publish, they can change the rule, um, and they'll usually include in their final rule an explanation of why they changed the rule and sort of how it's reacting to some of these comments. Uh, and that final rule is, is the rule that actually goes into effect. So right now, we're just at that proposed rule stage. We're in the in the period of time right now where the FTC is soliciting comments. I think I, I checked it just a few hours ago. There were almost 13,000 comments right now. And that comment period is going to go, I, I think, still for another few weeks. So I'd expect that we're going to see a lot more comments be submitted. So the FTC has to go through all those comments. Um, they have to figure out how they're going to respond to those comments. They have to figure out whether or not they're going to change the rule. And then they have to put together what that final rule is going to look like. So I think uh, our, our folks who are keeping an eye on this think that that's probably not going to happen until late 2023 at the earliest that we would get a final rule. And then based on the proposed rule, um, if the implementation period were to be the same, I think it's I think it's 180 days um, before it would go into effect. So you're talking about probably at the earliest at some point in 2024. Now, even if a final rule goes into effect, um, that's still open to legal challenge. Uh, right. We saw this on the vaccine mandate. Um, we saw this a few years back in the labor and employment world when they tried to raise the minimum salary threshold. Um, the Department of Labor tried to do that. And so there will be a legal challenge. Um, there, there's kind of a, you know inter interesting arguments, I think, on why the FTC might have not have this authority. This is really the first time the FTC has stepped in this area and declared that this is sort of part of their uh, their mission. Uh, and, and so I think there's a good chance that this could get tied up in litigation to the point where it would either be slowed down or, or completely stopped at some point. But again, that's probably not going to happen until later on this year or early next year. Interesting. Okay, that'll be something to keep an eye on for sure. And then, Scott, I'm interested in your perspective on the, you know, the ripple effects that this does go into effect. How would this affect the U.S. business landscape, in your opinion? Yeah, so one of the things that I've kind of focused on and been really interested in is that there's a specific exception that's carved into the FTC non-compete rule about non-competes in the sale of business. Um, almost every state treats non-competes that are entered into in connection with the sale of a business differently than non-competes in kind of the employer-employer context, employer-employee context. The idea being 
they don't want people to sort of sell their business and then be able to turn around the next day and open up a competing business, right? If someone's buying their business, they should have the ability to be able to keep you from being their competitor, at least for a certain amount of time. So most states, Wisconsin included, they recognize that in the sale of a business, they're going to look at these non-competes sort of a lot more equally um, with respect to the power dynamics and they would an employer-employee relationship. The FTC's rule proposes that, yes, there would be that exception, but only to the extent that the non-compete is with someone who is a 25% owner or greater in a company. Uh, and if, if that holds up, I mean, you, you think about selling a big company, there can be a lot of pretty major people who are owners who might have an ownership stake that's less than 25%. If that holds up, um, that could have a really significant impact on mergers and acquisitions activity and how how we look at uh, pricing and, and figuring out how how things are going to work in that sort of mergers and acquisition space. So I think that's going to be a pretty big shock to the system um, for for a lot of companies and a lot of folks in um, that are looking to sell or buy companies about how they're going to sort of work around that. I'm, I'm expecting that that piece of it might get changed, uh, but that's one thing I'm really taking a look at. I think the other piece of this is from the pure employer-employee standpoint, what we've been talking a lot to, to clients about is that if this goes into effect, and again, I would caution that I would, I, I'm, I'm not sure that it is ever going to go into effect, or if it does, it's going to be maybe in a bit of a different form. But if it does go into effect, I, I think that there's going to be a much, uh, there's going to be much more important put on the about restrictions on confidentiality and non-disclosure of information. So sometimes we talk to clients about that being sort of a backup if your non-compete doesn't doesn't hold up. Um, that you have, if you have language in an agreement that says an employee can't use your confidential information, can't use your trade secrets, can't take property from you and go bring it to a competitor, um, that, that that can be an effective way to be able to regulate what would otherwise be unfair competition. And so when we've had, you know, oftentimes a fact pattern will come where if somebody does go and work for a competitor, um, they will do things like take a bunch of information, you know, email a bunch of information to themselves to their personal Gmail account or something like that before they go off and do that. And that's that's pretty easily, if, if you have the right IT framework in place, that's pretty easy to track down and, and nail people if they're going to go ahead and do that. And so I think I think companies are going to need to be a lot more thoughtful about what is the important information that we don't want people to take to our competitors. How do we protect it? How do we keep an eye on it? How do we make sure that when employees leave, um, that we know that this information isn't being exfiltrated and then going on and being used by our competitors? Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, certainly lots to consider from an employer standpoint, and uh, of course. As I said, we'll be keeping an eye on this rule as it proceeds to the rulemaking process. Scott, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on this on the WISP Business Podcast. It's been great talking with you. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to WISP Business, the podcast. Now stay tuned for word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Ben Miller from University Relations here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and we're a proud sponsor of WIS Politics and WIS Business Podcast. 
Did you know that almost 80% of UW-Madison's in-state students returned to live and work in Wisconsin in the years after graduation? And almost half of all UW-Madison alumni are current Wisconsin residents. That's just one way we're driving our economy forward. UW-Madison is working for Wisconsin.